All right, guys, we are looking at the book of Judges. So we're just going to do an introductory lesson today. We do this before every every one of the books. So you have seen Joshua. Joshua basically is the account of how they took the land. Judges now gives you an understanding of what it was like when they first took the land after the time of Joshua and that generation had died. It covers a lot of years, and it has to do with something called a judge. They had judges. They didn't have a ruler, a king. They didn't have somebody like Joshua, a leader. But they had individual leaders at different times to guide them because they were supposed to operate with the Lord being their judge or their king. Do you understand? So now this book is put here to help you to understand what it is like in Israel before the king comes, before the kings come, which we're going to see later on as we progress further along in the Old Testament. So what we want to do is, again, we want to kind of refresh our memories as to how to approach this book. So we're going to talk about historical books, and then we're going to talk about the book of Judges giving you some introductory material, as well as helping you to understand how the book of Judges is structured. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. So when we talk about the historical books, I'm going to go through some information that uh, you've already seen once before, but I want to go through it just so you understand what we're talking about. Okay, so, uh, yeah, because for instance, this is a historical book, so we'll talk about that. First of all, historical books are known as narratives or stories. Okay, they're historical stories. So you need to understand that you oftentimes you'll hear somebody say about the narrative. That's what a, this is what a historical book is. It's a narrative. Biblical narrative narratives tell us about what happened, but not just any things. Okay? So they tell us about what happened, but they don't tell us about just anything. Alright? So you know, when you read a history book, it kind of goes through and tells you everything that took place during a time period. Okay. Uh, actually, as we get, have you noticed when I, I remember, some of you remember when you were in high school, you know, you had a whole 180 days to cover history and you got into a lot of details. Now, you know, they still have 180 days, but there's a whole lot more history there. So they're trying to cram it all into that 180 days. So they're not getting as much history as you did because they're adding a whole lot more history on. Okay whole lot more history on, and they talked about a lot of different things. Well, when you talk about biblical narratives, it tells us about what happened, but it doesn't tell you everything, okay? It doesn't tell you all things. They're not just, they're not just stories about people who lived in the Old Testament times. So I want you to understand, when we talk about these historical books, this is not just telling you about Samson or Gideon. This is not just the stories about Samson and Gideon, or Jephthah, all right? I want you to understand that. This is not just, you know, let's talk about these guys and have some good moral lessons and we'll teach Sunday school about it. That's not what it's about. There's a purpose for these narratives, okay? To tell you a purpose, to show you something. They are stories about what God people did to and through his people. 
So you're going to see what God did to his people here, and you're also going to see what he did through his people. All right? Through his people. In particular, when we talk about the book of Judges, you're going to see what it's like when people do their own thing without God. Interesting, isn't it? In fact, well, I'll, I'll leave it for as we go further along. We're going to see what people do without God, and that's pretty significant. They are not allegories, that is, moral stories. How many of you remember when you were in school, Aesop's Fables? The story of the wolf and the duck, or you know, the story of the scorpion that rode on the back of the of the turtle across the river, and the turtle, you know, we, have you ever heard that story? I'll tell you the story real quick. Some of you are like, I don't know that story. Well, there was a scorpion that wanted to go across the river, and he couldn't get across the river, so he saw a turtle, and he said to the turtle, carry me across the river. And the turtle said, I won't, because you'll sting me. And the scorpion says, no, I won't, I won't do that. I need to get across the river too. Just carry me on your back. So they hop on, carries him halfway across. He stings him. And as the turtle is dying, he said, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And the scorpion's reply was, it's my nature. That's an Aesop's fable. It teaches a moral tale. Okay? That's an allegory. These are not allegories. When we talk about historical books, they're not just moral teachings, okay? So, for instance, when we get into the book of Judges, you're going to come to a very interesting, horrifying thing where in the end, there's this Levite, he has a concubine, he's in a house, people show up, they're bad people, he sticks his wife outside and gives his wife, or his concubine, she's a type of wife, to these people, they rape her, they do whatever. She wakes up in the morning. He's dead. He cuts her into 12 pieces, sends her out throughout Israel. There's no moral story there. It's actually a pretty horrifying thing. But there's a reason why God gave that story. We'll see about that later. Okay? We'll see about that. You say, we're going to go through this book? Yeah, we're going to go through this book. Jephthah. First thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to the Lord. First thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. Whoa. Whoa. This is a time when people did their own thing. These are not allegories or stories filled with hidden meanings. They do not always teach directly. Historical narratives don't always teach directly. So when you talk about something, there's not a lesson that is like, oh, here's the lesson. They don't always teach directly, so I need you to grasp that, okay? Each narrative within a narrative does not necessarily have a moral all its own. Okay, remember I just told you about the concubine that got cut into 12 pieces. There's not a moral there to be taught. Each narrative within a narrative doesn't necessarily teach a moral, okay? It just is telling you what's going on here, all right? It's just telling you what it was like in this period. The narrative does not directly teach a doctrine. Okay? The narrative does not necessarily directly teach a doctrine. So you need to understand that. So we're not looking... First of all, you don't go to judges to get your doctrine. All right? You don't go to judges to get your doctrine. Just being honest with you. The usually illustrated doctrine or doctrines 
talked prepositionally elsewhere. You can use it to illustrate a doctrine somewhere else, but they don't necessarily teach a doctrine. All right? They record what happened, not necessarily what should have or ought to have happened. They just record what, what happens. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible, to me, is an amazing book. Because, you know what, nations, and that's even true of our nation, when we look back at history, we have a tendency to glamorize history. Do you know what I mean? We have a tendency to tell you the good things that happened in our country. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, and if we have a story, it, it maybe teaches a moral lesson. Like, you remember, how many of you heard the story of, I mean, they're, they're not even sure if it's true, but I was taught it about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. Do you guys remember that one? I don't even know if they teach that anymore, you know, and I cannot tell a lie, you know. Th that, that's how we approach history sometimes. But the Bible doesn't approach history that way. It doesn't glamorize anything. It just tells you like it is. How do you know that? Look at how it describes the greatest king of all, David. When you get to 2 Samuel and the narratives, you find out real quick he's a human being and he's making some wrong, wrong decisions. We would never do that. We would promote our leaders. We would never show them as being human. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this is what I want you to see. They, they record what happened, not, not necessarily what should have happened or what ought to have happened. What people do is not necessarily a good example to the reader in a narrative. What you see in this is not necessarily a good example to the reader. Okay? You're not going to go, oh, I'm going to be like Gideon. Well, you're going to see some things about Gideon later that are not necessarily good. Okay? Most of the characters are far from per perfect and their actions are too. I'm going to tell you they're all far from perfect. There is no perfect person in the Bible except one, Jesus. Okay? They're all sinners. God uses them. Okay? God uses them. In fact, what we're going to see in the case of Gideon, when we go to Gideon, God used Gideon, but then afterwards Gideon did something that I'm totally shocked at. Why would he do that? But yet God used him. Did you know what I'm saying? Yet God used him. Even in spite of the fact that later on God knew that he was going to do something that I think is that is totally shocking. What are you talking about, George? Wait till we get to Gideon. In a few weeks here we'll get to Gideon. Okay? We are not always told the end of the narrative, whether it, what happened was good or bad. Sometimes when you get the story, you don't necessarily find out what happened. Just being honest with you. You don't find out what happened. Okay? For instance, we're going to read, we're going to read about Samson and Delilah. You guys remember that story? Samson and Delilah? You, maybe you saw the movie. The 1950s movie. Okay? Well, the scripture tells you what happened with Samson. It doesn't tell you anything about what happened to Delilah. You know, other than her involvement and then the capture of Samson and the imprisonment. But it doesn't tell you what happened to her in the end. It, you don't need to know what happened to her in the end. The scripture's not interested there. Okay? So it doesn't tell you what happened, good or bad, in the end. All narratives are selective and incomplete. 
Is that possible? It's the Word of God. Yes, it's the Word of God. It's perfect. It's true. But the Word of God only gives you what God wants you to know. He's not going to tell you all of the details of what happened, because maybe somebody finds some historical record and it gives some other details. Does that mean the Word of God was wrong? No, it just means God only shared with you what he wanted you to know from that incident for a purpose. Okay? Now, <clears throat> they are not written to answer all of our theological questions. That's especially going to be true when we go through the book of Judges. Okay? Judges is not going to answer your theological questions. Just being honest with you. Okay? They, they teach either explicitly, clearly stating, or implicitly, clearly implying. If we're going to see anything, it's either going to be clearly stated, or it's going to be implied. Just being honest with you. Okay? Implicit does not mean secret. There's no secrets here. By the way, let me just go ahead and say this to you. Every once in a while, I'll see this. It's happened a lot. It happens almost every year. And especially some of the guys who are on TV, they will come up and say that they found some secret meaning or some secret teaching or some secret way of reading the Bible. That is not possible. Can I tell you that? That's not possible. Can I tell you why they're doing it? Anybody know why they would do that? Especially a TV guy? Well, yeah, to make money. Huh? Well, they do think of themselves more highly than they do. But anybody know why they would have to come up with something new all the time? Well, it's not to be different. It's to keep people coming back. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because, all right, so have you ever noticed, this is the same thing with prophecy, guys. Have you ever noticed the guys who have ministries that are in prophecy? They're always coming up with something new that points to whatever. They'll show you a picture of somebody who bought some junk military hardware from the from from Russia. I remember this years ago, I saw a guy, he put up a picture. This was in Tennessee. And with some guy in Tennessee who bought some Russian trucks. We're getting ready for the invasion. No, some dude decided to buy some junk from Russia. But he put it up there to show, because it fit into prophecy, so that people would come back the next week. Better yet, that people would keep what? Writing the check. Did you understand what I'm saying? Writing the check. There's nothing secret. Get that out of your mind. And that's especially true when we talk about narrative. Just because something is implied does not necessarily mean it's secret. Okay? God is the hero of all Old Testament narratives. You just need to understand that. The hero here isn't Gideon. It isn't Samson. Or Jephthah. The hero here is God. He is always the hero in a narrative. Because the narratives are telling us, remember what I said, they're telling us something about God. Do you understand? They're telling us something about God. Pointing something to how God did to his people and through his people. Okay, so let's talk about judges. Okay, so let's talk about judges now. All right, first thing we want to do is talk about the title. The title comes from the Hebrew term which meant to settle a dispute. 
Okay? So it came from the Hebrew term, which meant to settle a dispute. Isn't that what a judge does? Okay? Even in our culture. If I, let's say I get into a big spat with, uh, with Bruce, and uh, we, we can't settle between, between ourselves, we, what do we do? You go hire a lawyer, and you go before what? Depending on the amount of money, you go before a magistrate or a judge, and the judge then determines whether I pay him or he pays me, right? Isn't that how it works? Okay, to settle the dispute. Now, it is translated in the Septuagint. Now, remember what I told you what the Septuagint was. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. And this was right translated right after the time of Alexander the Great, when the when basically before the Roman Empire it was a Greek world, so Hellenist world, and the language was Greek, so they translated the Old Testament Hebrew into uh, into Greek, so it was translated in the Septuagint as credel or judges. Okay, the Greek word credle or judges. Okay, our English title came from the Vulgate's judicum. That's the Latin word. All right, now the Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Greek and the Hebrew text. So, the, in fact, that's the Bible that they still use in the Catholic Church. Okay? So when you see a New Jerusalem translation, that is an English translation of the Vulgate, the Latin. Okay? So our English translation, Judges, comes from the Vulgate because the Vulgate titled it Judicum. Alright? Judicum. Judges. Now, who are they? Who are these judges? Okay? They were dynamic local leaders raised up by God to deliver his people from a foreign oppressor. So these were dynamic leaders, local leaders, who were raised up to deliver the people of God from local oppressors. You'll see in your notes there that I've given you a biblical note concerning a judge. The judges were originally established by Moses. Remember the story? Moses was meeting with people, settling their disputes from morning to evening. His father-in-law came to visit Jethro, and Jethro said to Moses, Moses, you can't do this. Delegate leaders over thousands, over hundreds, over tens to settle disputes, and you only deal with the more serious cases. And that's how the judges were established. And so the judges continued on after Moses was gone, after Joshua was gone. And here we see that the judges also become leaders who, what, would free their people from oppression. And they're going to be oppressed. We're going to see that several times here. Okay? All right, so let's talk about the authorship and the date. Who wrote Judges? Kind of understand who wrote Joshua, right? We know that Joshua wrote most of Joshua, except for the last part. Well, who wrote Judges? All right, the Bible itself is silent concerning the identity of the author. We don't know who wrote Judges. 
There's some speculation. Some people say it was Samuel. But we don't know. Ancient Hebrew writings state that Samuel wrote Judges. So the Hebrews thought that Samuel was the one who wrote it. Okay, we've talked about Samuel before. All right. So they thought that Samuel, who was a judge, wrote Judges. Because the book covers a period of many years, there cannot be one eyewitness author. There's no way it is one guy who wrote this whole book. Why? Because it covers a lot of years, hundreds of years. Okay, so unless there was some dude who was a descendant of Noah who had long life, there's no way that there could be one author to, to, to write all of this unless it was written afterwards by someone like Samuel. The book covers a period of time from immediately after the conquest to the birth of Samuel. So from the time of them taking the land and Joshua's death to the time of Samuel's birth in 1 Samuel. That's what this book covers. It covers this period of time. All right? The beginning date depends on the date of the Exodus. So how do we know when this time period is? Well, that depends on which date you believe concerning when the Exodus took place, and of course, with that, the conquest. If one adds up all the dates given from Judges, the events occur over a 390 to 410 years. So all of the events, we're talking about 310 to four. To four, excuse me, 390 to 410 years. That's all of this time period here. Okay? Alright, so let's talk about some general observations. Alright? Alright, so this book clearly shows the continuing results of the fall on God's people. Now, does everybody understand what the fall is? What's the fall? When man sinned, all the way in the beginning. So this is really showing the results of sin and the domination of sin on God's people. This book definitely shows that. This book clearly shows the continuing results of sin, of the fall of man on God's people. Here's what you're going to notice. Each successive generation violated the covenant and went after the Canaanite fertility gods. What you're going to see in the book of Judges is amazing. You're going to see, remember, God told them, you're going to go there, you're going to worship me, you need to worship me alone, reject the Canaanite gods, but he also warned them, but when you do this, if you go after them, I will punish you by sending an oppressor. This book shows you that guess what? They go after the Canaanite gods, and guess what? God raises up an oppressor and oppresses them. Not for two weeks, for years. Then they cry out to God, they repent. God provides a deliverer through a judge. Guess what? A little bit later on, maybe the next generation, they get away from the Lord, they go after the Canaanite fertility gods. Guess what? God raises up what? Another oppressor. And they what? Repent, oh God, we need you. God comes in, do you understand? There's this cycle that's happening here. This cycle. Each successive generation, 
violated the covenant and went after the Canaanite fertility god. So God used pagan peoples to judge his people, which reflects the cursing of Deuteronomy 27 to 29. So God uses pagan people to punish his people. Now that's an interesting thing that we can get a lesson from, isn't it? God will use unsafe, unbelieving people to deal with you if you're not right. And that does happen, right? Why is that happening to me? Well, you never know. You never know. This book shows the need for a righteous king to lead the United Tribes. This is what this book is showing. This is the time when there was no king to lead the people. No king to lead the people. Shows the need for a king. The book of Judges, so let's talk about an outline, can be divided into three main sections. Okay? So I want you to notice in your page, in your notes there, I'm going to basically give you an outline of what's happening here. Okay? It can be divided into three main sections. So let's talk about this in the remaining time that we have. All right? The first section is in chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 5. It's the continued efforts to claim the land. So remember, when Joshua died, they didn't have everything yet. There were still places that needed to be conquered. There were still Canaanite peoples among them, like the Jezebites, that are still in the land, okay? So there's, this is basically showing in the first two chapters, first chapter, first part of chapter two, their continued efforts. So Chapter 1, verses 1 through 36, we see their successes in conquering. We also see their failures. We're going to talk about this next week. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, guess what? They're disobedient, and we see from the Lord a condemnation for disobedience. We see a condemnation for disobedience. That's the first section. We're going to look at the first section of Judges next week. The second section is the period of Judges. This runs from chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through chapter 16, verse 31. So let's talk about how this is divided up, okay? So we see that there is a new generation, chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 6. Talk about a new generation, because the old generation, they were faithful to what Joshua said, but they died. The new generation comes. They're not doing too good. So then we start seeing the judges, okay? And you'll see, all right, well, I'll just go. Othamel, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He only makes it in five verses, okay? Ehud, chapter 3, verse 12 through 30. Shamgar. These are great names, aren't they? Shamgar was a judge. We only see him mentioned in one verse, chapter 3, verse 31. Then you're going to see the prophetess named Deborah, and she is a judge, and Barak. We're going to see that story in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, through Judges chapter 5, verse 31. Then we come to Gideon. Judges 6, verse 1, through Judges 8, Verse 32. Abimelech, Judges 8, 33 through 9, 57. 
Tola and Jar, we're going to see that in Judges 10, verses 1 to 5. Jephthah, son, son of a prostitute, from chapter 10, verse 6, through chapter 12, verse 7. Ebzan, Elon, and Ebdon, we're going to see in chapters 12, verses 8 through 15. And then, of course, we're going to get to the great guy, Mr. Atlas himself, Samson, um, chapter 13, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 31, okay? Then we're going to come to the third part of the book, and the third part of the book is not going to focus on judges per se, but it's going to talk about the nature of the times. It's going to give you an understanding of what the times were like during this period of the Judges. And we're going to see that in Judges 17, verse 1, through Judges 21, verse 25. And so the first story is Micah's priest. Huh? Well, we're going to read about a guy named Micah who, remember I told you they still have these household idols? Well, he makes some household idols, and he feels that he needs to have a priest to guide his family, so he gets a Levite, to be, and pays him to be his priest. Okay? And, and there's more to the story. We'll get to it when we get to this narrative later. But that's Judges 17 through 18, verse 31. Then we're going to get to the Levite concubine. Remember I told you about that story? That's in Judges 19, verse 1, through Judges 21, verse 25. Wow, that's a lot. There's a lot to this story. So that's what we're looking at there. So now, this is, if you want to kind of in your mind visualize how the book is structured, I've given you a chart. Kind of breaks it up for you as far as what's happening in the book of Judges. Okay? Okay.